Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Rewind, where we'll be reviewing some of the forgotten and some unforgettable moments to have ever taken place in the ring. I'm Simon Maguire, and on this week's show, I'm delighted to be joined, as ever, by boxing writer for the Irish Sun, Kevin Byrne, and by former headweight boxer turned actor, Irish, Jack O'Halloran. Welcome to the show, Jack. Thank you. Yeah, most welcome to the show, Jack. I've been looking forward to getting you on for a long time. Well, here we be. Yeah. <laughs> we need a pint of Guinness. Exactly, yeah. I haven't had one of them since um, March, I don't think. And it was Murphy's was the last point I had as well. So, But um, I, I want to ask you, first of all, Jack, uh, you, you have the nickname Irish Jack, but there was a lot of guys in America with Italian or, or, or maybe even Jewish backgrounds or, or Eastern European that, that had the, the nickname Irish. And I was wondering, what about yourself? I, they gave me that name up in uh, Boston, Um I was by, I started my career in Philadelphia, and then uh, they sent me up to Boston, and, and Boston became like home for me. And you know, so I just I, it was a nickname that they they tacked on to me up there in Boston. Okay, but you have uh, you have spent a bit of time over here, I believe. Yeah, I lived in uh, in, in a village called Dunlavin in Wicklow, and uh, for oh God, back in the in the early eighties. Um, I was married to uh, an English woman who had a, the Samuel family. They're one of the cousins of the Rothschild. And okay. we had a horse ranch down there, horse farm. Yeah, Dunlavin, it's a, a neighboring uh, town of mine. Yeah, it's, it's right uh, there. From <laughs> <laughs> how, how, did you, how did you end up over in, Dun, in Dunlavin County, Wicklow? Uh, I met Jackie... Um, I was in Ireland uh, looking to do a film, and uh, I was in at the Shelburne up in uh, in, du- in in Dublin, and um, and we met at an affair there, and you know, boom, Bob's your uncle. And next thing I know, I was in Ireland, and, um, and then I had a couple businesses there, and, and but I had a film that I was I, I wrote a script back in the seventies when I was doing King Kong, and it's a of a classic film that was done there. And, and uh, I have a great script that we've tried to get done a few times in, in the course of the years, but I didn't like the the mixture that was being put together. So I kept putting it on the shelf. And 
So finally, we've got to a point now where we're getting ready to do it because it's uh, it's a great film. It needs to be done. So, Jack, your career biography is uh, incredible. From from what I understand, you began in uh, sports by being a professional footballer. With you played with New York uh, Jets. You had a time with the Philadelphia Eagles. You saw Muhammad Ali boxing, and in about 1966, and you said, "I could beat that guy." At six or six yourself, you were almost more akin to the modern uh, Eastern European giants, those boxers. You went on to fight some of the great names in it. I think George Foreman has described the 60s uh, and the 70s heavyweight boxing scene as just a sky full of stars. It was a different era. It was probably one of the best eras for heavyweights in the history of boxing. You know, and it's uh, saddest part was I, you know, when, when I, uh, I was 23 before I ever put a glove on. And um, I couldn't box amateur because I was already a professional athlete. So in those days, you couldn't do. Today, you could get away with that. You could you could have went in and boxed some amateur fights and then turned pro and stuff. But uh, So I just went right professional. And then I was 16 and 0, I think. And they, they did a physical on me. And they told me I had a, a disease called acromegalia, which is a tumor of the pituitary gland. And I shouldn't be boxing at all. And, um, of course, I told him to take that and stick it. And uh, so, he, but he gave me, you know, you went through periods where you just couldn't, there's no way you got up for a fight or something. You know? And I, I don't know, I, I was my own worst enemy. I had a tremendous amount of talent and I just didn't, um, I never went to camps or anything of that nature. And I would take a fight on a week's notice. And it was, um, you know, I just, uh, it was sad. Because I, if I'd have done the things I was supposed to do, I probably would have would have been a great fight, Ali and I. Yeah, but I've, I've, from reading interviews with you, you, you were quite friendly with uh, Muhammad Ali, and you were linked to to fights on several occasions. Can you tell us? We were supposed to fight four different times, actually. And that, uh, the first time was he 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 called. I was California heavyweight champion, and he called me on the phone, and he. Uh, he said, you got to do me a favor. And I said, yeah, I'll do you a favor, sign a contract. No, no, no. He said, I'll do that if you do me this favor. And I said, and I was fighting his brother, Rockman. And I didn't know that was his brother. And he said, it's, it's my brother. I said, he said, you got to get him out of boxing because he's embarrassing me. So I um, I said, I better go in the gym for a couple of days. And I knocked him out and he never fought again. And so Ali and I put the deal together. We were going to fight in, in San Diego. And um, we had the venue all set up and we had agreements all done. And, and Norton was owned by some very wealthy people. And they took a lot of money and went to Chicago and gave it to Herbert Muhammad. And, and Ali wound up fighting Norton. And, uh, and he called me on the phone. He was apologetic. He said, I don't know how to tell you this, but it's what it is, what it is. And and we um, and we were going to fight in Australia. Then we were going to fight a couple other places. But it just I beat a guy named Alvin Blue Lewis, who was ranked number two in the world. And Blue Lewis had just won 13 rounds with Ali in Ireland. Then he came home and beat Ernie Terrell and another couple of fighters, ranked fighters. And they were trying to get another Ali Lewis fight. And um, I made they made the fight with uh, Alvin Blue Lewis and myself trying to prepare him for another Ali fight if he beat me. And and I beat him very badly. In fact, I don't think he ever fought again. 
And I went to Ali after that, and I, you know, I went up to camp in Deer Lake, and I sat down with him, and I said, you know, let's do this, let's get it on. He said, uh, if I if I give you a title fight, will you really, really try to beat me? And I said, I'm gonna tell you something. For the very first time in my career, I will go away to a camp like you guys do, and I will train for a couple months. And when you come in the ring, you better bring a gun with you. And he said, uh, two steaks, please. We're having dinner. And we laughed. And uh, he's he was a great individual. I, I, I had a lot of time for Muhammad. But we never got it on. You know, it was the same with Frazier. Frazier and I were supposed to fight in Houston, Texas. Uh, I um, He called me up to fight a kid, uh, Danny. Uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, my heavens. Michael No, McLinden I beat in Ireland in, in yeah. London. There was a guy who was uh, um, Terry Daniels, who was a world ranked fighter, and they were looking for a, um, a white fighter to fight Frazier in Houston, Texas. And they called me to fight Terry Daniels, and I went down to Houston and I destroyed this kid in three rounds. I knocked him out. And, and I flew back to Philadelphia with Yank Durham, and he said, Well, if you beat one more good fighter, you can have the Frazier fight. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, you name the fighter in the place, send me send me a ticket. He said, are you serious? I said, yeah, just name the fighter and send me a ticket. And I fought Cleveland Williams a month later in, in Houston, and I beat Cleveland Williams hands down. And uh, and Terry Daniels got the Frazier fight, and Cleveland Williams fought George Savallo on the same card, and, and no one would fight me because I, I had gotten myself in pretty good shape. But, uh, you know, that was just... More my own fault. I, mean, I have no blame, no blame nobody but myself. But you know, like from that star-studded uh, heavyweight division at the time, you fought some of the best, some of the best names. So Joe Bugner, Cleveland Williams, Kenny Norton. Bugner, and I fought Hall. Bugner and Albert Hall. Bugner and I fought in Albert Hall, and I, I beat Bugner bad. In, in the, uh, it was supposed to be the we were we were the main event, a ten-round fight. At the end of the eighth round, they called the fight. <laughs> I said, what are, they, what are they doing? And the Bugner was out on his feet at the end of the eighth round. And they stopped the fight and said it was no. They changed it to an eight-round fight. Oh. And they gave Bugner what they call a quarter-of-a-point decision. No one ever heard of that ever in, in England, in the history of boxing. They gave Bugner a, a quarter-of-a-point decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing the, the goalpost moving when uh, it was Sonny Bill Williams, the rugby player, another convert into heavyweight boxing, but he was fighting Franz Bolta. I think it was supposed to be 12 rounds, and then he was getting such a beating. They said, oh, it's over after 10. Let's call it. Let's call it a night. So, uh, they did boxing. that in Albert Hall to me with Bugner, and then they would never fight me again. It was, you know, but, uh, you know, it was uh, Terry Daniels. Terry Downs was in my in my corner. Terry was a good friend of mine. Terry was in my corner. He went crazy because he was a middleweight. He was the first real champion that England had had in middleweight uh, in the middleweight division, and he went ballistic. He just he, he was, but you know it is what it is. So normally on this show, uh, Rocky Road Rewind, Jack, we go back and we pick we pick a moment, we pick a date, and uh, we just we introduce a fight. So we're going to go back to January twenty sixth, nineteen seventy. At Madison Square Garden. So some of the things that took place that month, uh, the UK number one was uh, Ralph Harris, Two Little Boys. A couple other songs that came out that uh, that followed out at number one were I Want You Back by the Jackson Five and Wandering Star by Lee Marvin, one of my dad's favourites. Um, movies released that month, 
Mash, Patton, and the Elvis 68 comeback special. There was an earthquake in China killed 15,000 people. And at home in, Ar- in Ireland, the troubles were heating up. The UDR was formed and there was uh, riots in Ballymurphy and Ardoin. Uh, in Africa, the Nigerian civil war ended and uh, Gaddafi was proclaimed the premier of Libya. In sports, the Kansas City Chiefs had won the Super Bowl. Arthur Ashe and Margaret Court won the Australian Open. And uh, you might recall the super fight took place that very month. The computer mock-up of Ali versus Rocky Marciano. Do you remember who won, Jack? Yeah, I think they they they, they said Marciano would beat him, but that, that would never happen. Really? No, Ali was Ali was uh, was 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 an incredible boxer. I mean, and and Rocky was, and I knew Rocky well as well, and he was a. Um, he was a tough, tough guy. He came, they brought him up in the right time. There was nobody in the heavyweight division because of World War II. And everyone who was there was was, was older people. Walcott was old. Um, and I was, in fact, that was the very first fight I ever went to was Walcott Marciano in Philadelphia. And uh, the big knockout. Was, it was the, the famous punch that. Uh, Rocky, I mean, today they would have stopped that fight. Rocky Rocky would never have won the fight. He used to cut really bad. Walcott had both his eyes wide open. He was cut badly, and uh, he just was a tough, tough, tough guy. And he, he pushed him against the ropes and threw that overhand right, and, and it was the punch of the century, you know, yeah. and knocked him out. And it was, uh, it was a great fight. And, and I used to tease Walcott about the second time he fought Marciano in Madison Square Garden and he got stopped in the first round and I said I said you threw that fight he said if you thought I was gonna let that guy hit me that hard again you're crazy <laughs> and it uh, yeah. so we joke about a lot but well, of course there, there was a lot of fight fixing back then as well wasn't there because it, it, there's a legacy from the mob days of um of controlling boxing with Carbo and all those guys in New York and yeah, that, those mob connections weren't something that were alien to you either, were they? No. Okay, if Carbo had been around when I was boxing, I'd have been world champion because yeah. they would have put me in camp. I would have. They would have locked. They would. What I wanted to do, and I said this to the manager, and I had my management team were mob guys and, and from Philadelphia, and uh, and I implored them. I said, stick me in a camp, and and the only time I want to come out is when I'm fighting. Just lock me up. Get me off the street. Period. But I had too many things I was doing involving the mob in, in the streets, and, uh, and and boxing was like a day job because you had to have a day job where you'd be busted by the law, you know. So, well, trying it, to follow in the footsteps of your dad. Yeah, I, well, I was in his world, you know. Yeah. And it, uh, just, but if my father was alive, I'd have been world champion because things would have been. I'd have done my career differently. It would have been a different situation. But I had a lot of anger in me and. And I, not too many people could tell me what to do. And, and, yeah. and the problem was I had too much talent. I, you know, I, I could, I could take a 10 round fight in, in a week and, and without a problem, I had no problem with doing it. I could fight 10 rounds on my head. You know, I just had, I had a great ability, but I, um, certain things in the ring, if you, you know, you, if you're not in the proper condition and you walk into punches, you know, you, you, you don't have a control over certain things and and that was my problem i was uh, sometimes people say you having too much heart is not a great idea but you know i just didn't you know when i when i fought george foreman uh, i was beating foreman 
in the first couple rounds, and I walked into a punch. That's uh, uh, and I got up, and that's what really made me mad. Is was I got up, and I and I was I could fight, and they stopped the fight right away. They just were looking for an excuse. Once oh. again, boom, you know, and and I, you know it happened to me in my career quite a bit because I didn't care. I didn't, you know, I just I I would fight on like on a diet, like I trained I think a week for Foreman. Yeah, because that that's the reason we've gone back to January 26, nineteen seventy, when you fought George Foreman. Uh, the Olympic gold medalist was six. Uh, he was uh, he came in with a fourteen and zero record, and Jack, your record at that time officially was eighteen five and two. Um, you were taller than him at six foot six inches, but George was no slouch either at six foot three and and plenty hefty. George 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 was a very good fighter. He was no. Yeah. He was not. In fact, Ali Ali asked me about him. He said, "What you know? Tell me about George Foreman." And I said, "I said I'll tell you the truth. If you take him, if you if you take him into the depth of the fight, I think he gets out. I think yeah. I thought he suffered from sickle cell, which was a disease that black people had that that caused you to be tired. I said I think you'd wear him down. And that's when Ali did the rope with dope and stuff down in. He he's the one that that uh, loosened the ropes himself, Ali, and you know, and Muhammad Ali was a, like I said, he was a great fighter, and George, George was George was pounding at him, and and Ali kept whispering in his ear, "My wife hits harder than that," and he and when you wind up and you're throwing haymakers all the time and and you're missing, that takes more out of you than if you're connecting. You understand? Because yeah. you got to reset yourself, and when you're fighting a guy like Ali, I mean, the punch that Ali knocked Foreman out with—if he'd have hit him with that punch in the second round—it wouldn't nearly have affected him as much. Bounce off him. Uh, when you fought George Foreman in 1970, George didn't retire properly until 27 years later. Um, he was obviously a young kind of a novice professional at the time, at 14 and 0, and. We've seen different shades of George in his career. We've seen the badass, the surly, moody guy. wasn't popular. Didn't enjoy the press. No, wasn't popular with the press. He was popular with people. Um, and he was probably in, in Muhammad Ali's shadow. The guy you fought was he? Which which face of George did you see? Was it was he cheerful as we came to I know like him? George. George and I are good friends. We were always we've always been friends. You know, and he would never fight me again though. You no, know, because he he told me he said. He said you hit. He said he ranked the top ten guys that ever hit him the hardest, and I think I was number four. Um, and you can see the fight on YouTube. It's it's they they show it all the time. Yeah, was, I watched I watched it recently. You gave him a good go. He oh, um, no, good fight. There was no there was no no chump deal. He looked maybe slightly more dynamic than the former we came to know in the mid seventies. that fought Ali, even though the. Uh, how hard did he hit? Because we saw what he did to Joe Fraser. Down goes Fraser like several times, lost count. Well, he, you know, he, you gotta you gotta understand the Fraser fight. You know, if you if you really if you know boxing, okay. Um, Fraser took a terrible beating from Muhammad Ali, and he was never the same afterwards. I mean, he was when he, he had a, he had a rock and roll band and stuff. He was falling off the stage. And and if I'd have fought him in Houston, I'd have done the same thing that George did. I'd have walked out and hit him right on top of the head. And that's what Archie Moore told for, told Foreman to do. He said, just walk right out and hit him right on top of the head. And when he hit him, if you ever seen the fight, Joe's legs went from under him. He went sideways. So sometimes you can you you know 
from fighting, you can take, you know, so many punches, you know what I mean? But uh, he, he never recovered really from the Ali fights. I don't think, in my own estimation. Joe was a tough kid. We, we trained in the same city. He would never fight me. I mean, he wouldn't fight me and he wouldn't fight Leotis Martin. Leotis Martin was a, was a pretty good fighter. How do you think you would have done against another stalwart from the era whose career was kind of winding down as yours was beginning, Sonny Liston? Liston was Liston. Liston was there's there's a lot of things about Liston that you got to understand as well. Liston, because my management was the same people that had Liston, Sam yeah. Marcos, and um, Liston was a tough guy, but he was a bully. And what Liston's biggest downfall was, he couldn't stand to see his own blood. And when he fought Muhammad Ali, Ali cut him under the under the eye. And he was, and, and that stuff sitting on the stool at the seventh round, that was, he, that was, that, it, it was nothing wrong with his shoulder. He didn't like bleeding. He, and his eye was cut pretty bad. And, you know, he just, uh, and the same thing happened when he fought, when he fought Leotis Martin in, in Vegas. He got, he started bleeding. Leotis hit him, uh, Leotis could fight. And he hit him a couple of good right hands, broke his nose, and Liston was bleeding down his throat. And uh, in fact, he fell on the canvas. Right, I was sitting ringside, right in front of me, and I watched him. He picked his head up and put it on his glove while they counted him out. I know Charlie. Charlie was a, uh, I, I knew Sonny pretty well. He was a tough guy. Let me tell you, Liston, Liston had a jab that would that would knock some people out. I mean, yeah, he could fight. You know, he was a tough, tough guy, but certain things he, you know, and he was a bully in the street. And I love boxing, and I and I knew. I knew a lot of fighters, and I watched how they fought, and you know, and um, and, and when I retired to prove the point that I that, that the game I, that I really loved it, you know, I, I took a young man that was uh, thrown out of the Kronk gym, and they sent him to L.A. to the Goosen gym, and I was in there working out while I was in the movie business. And I was working out, and I sold this kid training, and I and I took him aside, and I said, you know what, you listen to what I tell you, young man. For six months, I'll make you world champion. And I put a corner together. That's where Freddie Roach started at. Freddie Roach was living at Mickey Rourke's gym at the time. And, and I took Frankie and I moved him in my house. And I got him in the greatest shape he was ever in. And he won the super middleweight championship of the world. And he defended it validly for several years. When we went right down the list of contenders. One through six. Boom, 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 boom. Michael Nunn included. Um. We we discussed uh, Jack. We discussed one Rocky Marciano, um, but I want to talk about another one. So we got this Rocky, Rocky Balboa has obviously got a, a famous legacy in boxing. Now on the night that you fought George Foreman, there was another guy with the moniker Irish Irish Pat Murphy was on that card. But there was another uh, tough kid. Was another, yeah, I'm not too familiar with him. Chuck Webner was on the card as well. And Chuck, uh, Chuck's a good friend of mine. Chuck's a, Chuck. They would never let me fight Webner either. Because he had one eyebrow that used to actually fall right down off of, over his eye. I mean, and he had a guy that worked in his corner, Al Braverman, who was uh, who was also my matchmaker. And and Braverman was a historian guy in boxing. He's been around for years. And he used to actually, and he got away with this in the garden. He used to tape, he used to tape Wepner's eyebrow right back up again, and with uh, new skin, and, and, and to keep his eye in. In place when it, uh, when he got cut pretty bad a couple of times, and I had too good a left hand for him. I would, you know, I would have cut him up pretty bad. 
Chuck was a nice kid, a tough guy, but he was yeah. uh, he was a walk-in fighter. You know, he was like um, it was like Jerry Quarry. Jerry Quarry, when I had the California Heavyweight Championship, I I told Quarry, I said, "Come on, man, let's get it on." He said, "Because we could have made a lot of money." He said, "Ah, you got too much left hand for me." And I I said, "Yeah, come on." I said, "We'll, we'll fight three fights." You win one, I win one, then you're on your own. But I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get him into it. But yeah. you know, but, but Chuck, a guy named Henry Clark. Henry Clark was a, was a tough kid and and a pretty good fighter. Nobody wanted to fight him when I took the California State title from him. And he was a world. I beat a lot of rank fighters in my in my career. Yeah, no doubt. I'm proud of it. I was going. The reason I brought up Chuck Webner was because he often gets the credit with uh, inspiring Sylvester Stallone's creation of Rocky Balboa. That's that's Alice. Rocky, my I was doing Farewell, My Lovely, the picture, first picture I ever did. Farewell, My Lovely, we met him, and Stallone had a bit part in the movie. He's in the movie, and he came out from New York with a guy named Joe Spinelli, who was also in Rocky. And uh, and he picked my brain every day because he he didn't know Philadelphia at all. I, mean, I was the gangster fighter from Philly. I was I belonged to the mob. I was involved in the mob. And and uh, and I told him about the waterfront and the gym that that they show in the movie. That was the gym. We they, they say it was up in Kensington, but it was down in South Philadelphia, Pashunky Moor. I trained there. Giordello, a lot of great fighters trained there. But it was you had to go up the third floor up these creaky steps and stuff, you know, and it was a small little gym where we all trained at. And, and I described all that stuff to him. I gave him total descriptions of the whole nine yards. And, and, and I had been signed to fight Ali. So he got all that from my career, you know, and I never said anything to him. About he, he, he picked my brain every day when we were on set every day, he'd sit down with me. And, and in fact, Joey Archer's brother, Jimmy, was in the picture. And and he was and they hung around together and they would sit down every day and he'd tell him, say, Jack, tell him about boxing, tell him about this. So I, and I then I gave this kid, I told him the truth about me, and and he um, and he wrote the story Rocky. And when I saw the movie, I said, Are you kidding me, man? This is a joke. And you know. Jack, can I ask, have you ever spoken to Sylvester Stallone since Rocky? Yeah, he was doing uh, Rocky Two, I think, or something, and and there was a role they they sent me up, and I went over and saw him at MGM, and uh, and he he just he he uh, he I, I I in fact I almost smacked him. I just I, I just you know I, just, nah, I walked away. I was better off. Possibly, possibly. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And as the Rocky movies became like incredibly successful and a big franchise, was there any... He made a lot of money. God bless, yeah. he made a lot of, God bless him. You know, he made a lot of money from it. You know, he... And he did, uh, and they still now they're doing the Creed pictures with, uh, with, yeah. uh, with Michael Jordan. Uh, you, know. you were part of a very successful franchise yourself, um, and joining the Superman cast um, alongside Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman and all the lads. There's a there's a there's another podcast out there called Boxing Life Stories. I'd regard it as the absolute granddaddy of podcasts. It's run by a guy called Tris Dixon, former editor of Boxing News from England. But he, his guest this week was uh, George Foreman, and George spoke about you on that podcast. Would you like to hear it, Jack? <laughs> you did have an early fight with Jack O'Halloran, who was who who actually went on to star in the Superman movies. Was that ever something that you seriously considered, as in a sideways career? I know you have done some movie work, but was that ever a, a big plan of yours to go into movies? No, a lot of people go into the movies to become famous and wealthy and by boxing had already done that for me. So I didn't really care too much about the movies, but I remember with Jack uh, O'Halloran starting that Superman movie, it it felt like I was there. I was so so proud of him. That was a proud moment. I tell, hey, we fought. Hey, I fought him. I love telling that story. That was a, it was like I was in the movie that time when, when Jack was. Well, he played a scary monster as well, and you were a scary monster at the time too. <laughs> I was just so proud of him, so proud. He was truly acting. So that's, uh, yeah, a lot of love there from Big George. Uh, George is a good friend. No, 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 George is a good friend. He was, uh, you know. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of good friendship in in fighting win or lose you know with certain fighters you just never you're friends for life whether you like it or not just it it puts a commodity there you know what i mean yeah and they often call boxing a show business with blood do you find the same bonds tend to exist in the movie business yeah i mean i but i i was more uh the older actors like mitchum and brando and uh i was very fortunate to work with a lot of really good old school actors and uh, and they were a better breed than these young kids today i think you know it, uh, uh they just they they took it more serious you know it was, it was more of a i mean mitchum was my mentor and he was robert was was an, an incredible individual i mean just uh he took me from day one and just and taught me the things that i needed to know to you know to become a very successful actor and uh and he um, and we were very, very close. We were good friends, you know. And he was uh, he was probably one of the most well-read men I ever met in my life, and, and an amazing actor, you know. 
and Brando as well. Brando was a tremendous actor. We were good friends, and and the other guy, Omar Sharif, was a good friend of mine, and Jimmy Coburn, and um, I just I was very fortunate. Hackman and I got on very well, and Hackman was, a, and they were all different types of actors. They they did different things, you know. They their approach to acting was totally different than, than the other guy. Um, Brando was. I mean, people like Mitchum and Brando, when they walked on the set, you could hear a pin drop. That's how much people respected what they did, you know? Yeah. They just had that charisma about them. And it's, you know, it's like Mitchum taught me. He said, you know, kid, it, it, it's about what makes a star is a word presence. You either have it or you don't. The camera either likes you or it doesn't. And I was very fortunate. The camera liked me. And and uh, and I did my jobs, uh, you know, all the pictures I've been in. Uh, I'm very proud of everything I've ever done. I've never done a bad picture. And I believe that, that kind of star quality shines through in boxing as well. Like uh, there were talented fighters in the 60s and 70s who didn't quite make it. Or do you think that do you think that the cream eventually rose to the top with the champions that we were we had in that great era? Yeah, there was. I mean, I, I remember the night I fought when I fought Kenny Norton. I was in Philadelphia, in New Jersey. I lived in New Jersey, right outside of Philly. And we had had several indictments against me over union problems with my father's world. And uh, they called me on the phone to fight Norton. And I said, uh, when? They said, next week, because the fight had fallen apart. And they said, will you take the fight? And I said, send me a ticket. I said, you'll take the fight? I said, send me a ticket. Because I wanted to get out of Philly. I mean, you know, we, we had a lot of pressure and problems. And uh, and I flew out to fight, and I fought Norton, and uh, and I beat Norton. I think I gave him one of the worst beatings he ever had, actually. And it actually could have won the fight sitting on a stool in the ninth round. And it was a great. We really had a great fight, he and I. And the people were standing on the chairs screaming at the end of the ninth round, and they uh, they rang the bell three times before anybody heard it. And the referee came and separated us. And I was going back to the corner and Kenny ran across the ring and hit me behind the head and drove me into the corner post. And and the commissioner was sitting ringside and he jumped up in my corner and said, if you can't continue, you just won this fight on a foul. And I was, I was angry. I said, oh, hell with the foul. I'm gonna, I'll go out there and kick. And not realizing this is Norton's hometown. So I, he won a decision, but I won the town and I stayed there. And then I knocked out a few guys in a row and, and, uh, and I won the California state title, you know, the rest is history, but Kenny would never fight me again. You know, he was, a, and he was good. And we were good friends. Kenny was a, Kenny was a good kid, but he was, uh, yeah. Was, and of course a lot of the, a lot of your old opponents are, are, are no longer with us now. Like, uh, Cleveland Williams, Ron Lyle, Kenny Norton. Uh, yeah, he was a good friend of mine. I liked Ronnie. Ronnie and I, Ronnie was a good friend. And in and, and the Lyle fight, it was one of my, one of these acromegaly attacks. I just shouldn't have been there that night. And and it, um, it was another fight that they stopped very quickly. But yeah. Ronnie and I became good friends. I mean, he, I liked Ronnie. Ronnie was a good kid. I helped him out on a few things. And he, he went to work in Vegas for a while before he died. Ronnie, Ronnie was a good kid. Yeah, I've seen I've seen this yeah. fight recently again for probably the eighth time with George Foreman, uh, one of the great heavyweight fights. It was a great yeah. fight actually, with Foreman. Yeah, did he hardly got along to that one? It was a slugfest, boy. That was a they, they 
That was a good fight. Certain matches, you know, I had a great friend of mine, Willie Pep. Willie Pep was a great fighter. I mean, when I tell you a great fighter, a great fighter. And the guy had like almost 300 fights, you understand? And he, I mean, Willie could fight. Willie, Willie Pep could fight. He was, and I learned a lot from Willie Pep as far as movement in the ring and stuff. And I was like a white Ali. I could move and I was big and I was strong and I could punch. And I had a great left jab. When I fought Cleveland Williams, Cleveland Williams said to me, you hit me more left jabs than Ali did. He said, he said, damn, son, your, your left hand's like a piston. You know, and I think Cleveland Williams hit me harder than anybody in my whole career. Thank God I was in great shape. I mean, I'm serious. He hit me a left hook and my I felt it in my toes. You know, and and he he rushed at me, pushed me into the into the corner, and he came rushing at me, and I I cuffed him and spun him around and whispered in his ear. I said, "You never touch me the rest of the night." And I just gave him a boxing lesson. And, and in the eighth, ninth, and tenth round, I hit him a combination. He was fall, starting to fall down. I grab him under the elbows and pick him up and say, don't fall down on me now. We've been dancing all night, man. Because if he went the distance with me, he could still make money. You understand? Yeah. If I had knocked him out, it would have, it would have hurt him for any kind of money fights afterwards. So, we, I mean, I beat him in a ten-round unanimous decision. with no, no, wasn't even a contest. But he was a, he was a tough guy. You know, and I, and I like Cleveland. Cleveland was a good guy. Yeah, I have to ask you about another, uh, your sole Irish opponent, Danny McLean, that we mentioned him earlier on. You fought him over in the UK. What What are your recollections? What type of fighter was he and what challenge did he present you with? He was a tough kid. You know, Danny, Danny was a, a a tough walk-in fighter. And, you know, he, he um, and he had a pretty good chin because I gave him a couple good, you know, I, it was a it, it was a good fight. I beat him ten out of ten. There was no doubt about that. And he was, but he was, uh, you know, he he was a, he was a, what you call a ballsy kid. You know, he was a tough kid, and he he was a. I liked him. He was a nice kid. He was undefeated, I think, when I fought him. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some of his fights recently, and uh, yeah, you can tell he's all action. He's he's got fast hands. And he's going to bring the fight to him. He, he was a tough kid. He, he was a tough kid. But see, I had a great left hand. And, you know, it negated a lot of people, a lot of things. When I was in, and I was in pretty good shape when I fought Danny. Same mm -hmm. as when I fought Carl Gizzy. Carl Gizzy was a good fighter, let me tell you. Gizzy was one of the few people that ever cut me. I cut my one eye. Um, Gizzy, Gizzy could fight. Gizzy was a tough kid. Good yeah. boxer. He was a good boxer. And and Jack, seeing as you kind of moved along the monsters, and you 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 were in there with Foreman, and you were in there with Ron Lyle and Kenny Norton, and there's a lot of great fighters that you know you might have sparred with or known or be friends with. What do you think? Uh, how do you think the modern trio at the top of heavyweight boxing, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, and Deontay Wilder, would get on moving in the sixties and seventies? How do you do? You think one or one or any of them would be champions? No. Uh, that? The, the kid uh, Tyson Fury's getting to be a better fighter and, and he's got he has great potential to be a good fighter if he can keep his mind straight you know uh, he takes a great punch I think Wilder is a joke you know Wilder would have been a six round fighter when I was fighting he was Wilder would have got beat by a lot of guys uh, Joe Frazier would have chased him right out of the ring 
Ali would have destroyed him. I mean, it would it would have been you know. Um, there's not very many heavyweights today that can really fight. Let me say that. You think Anthony Joshua would have a chance at picking up the championship at that era? No, I think Joshua. You know, I liked Joshua when I first saw him fighting. You know, I thought he had a lot of potential. You know, mm. and the Ruiz fight brought something out—a weakness of his. He's very beatable. He's very beatable. I mean, he gets hit on the, and he got hit on the side of the head by Ruiz. He was hurt. He got hurt. And yeah. for a guy like Ruiz to hurt you, um, is not a good, you know, but it exposed something about Joshua. And and I think the problem, I think Joshua's biggest problem is the way they train him. He was too muscle bound. He's too, you know, he's, he's, now they say he's taking the weight off of him and stuff like that. And I hope he has for his sake. If I was training Joshua, he would never weigh more than 228 pounds, 230 pounds. A top yeah. weight it would be. And because uh, he has he has the ability of moving and stuff with what these guys don't what what they what I instilled in Frankie Lyles, which made him a great fighter, was teaching him how to fight you know, right to left and, and, and how to take half steps around people. And the art of boxing, where boxing is really about, being able to stand stand there. You know, when someone throws a punch at you, you only have to move slightly to get away from it. You don't have to jump way back. Every time you jump back away from a fight, you have to reset yourself. It takes a lot of energy out of you. And if you move half steps around people and you always stay on an angle, and boxing's all about angles. And it gives you position of punching and everything. And, and it's, uh, it's, you know, it's an art. And, and the guy that taught me, I had a guy training me in Philadelphia, a guy by the name of Gene Johnson. And Gene Johnson boxed in Sam Lankford's era. This guy had like 320 fights. And he knew boxing. And he used to sit, <laughs> I tell you, I'd be on a speed bag. And he'd be sitting in a window with his hot cigar hanging out of his mouth. And, and you th I always thought he was asleep. And every time I slowed down, he'd say, what's the matter, kid? You want to go home and quit or what? <laughs> and he would leave me on there for an hour. There were never any bells when I trained with him. You know, like if I'm on a heavy bag, I'd be on that heavy bag. And if I slowed down or did something wrong, and I think he wasn't watching me, and I'd, and I'd try to just be lazy for a moment, he'd say, you, you, you're packing your bag to go home now or what? Yeah. <laughs> I say, you know, so I learned how to fight with endurance. Sorry, Jack, just following up on what you were saying there about uh, defensive fighting and making angles and slight movements. Over all the fighters you've seen over the years, where would you rate Floyd Mayweather Jr.? Floyd Mayweather Jr. is a good fighter because he learned from family. He could move side to side. He could he could box and. Uh, and, and he was a very, and he's very clever. He's, he can punch. He can box. Uh, I thought I always liked to watch him fight. He's a good fighter. I wanted to ask you about um, how do you think Mike Tyson will get on in your era, and should he come back? I'd have knocked Tyson out. Tyson had a problem, and, and I'll tell you where he was exposed at. He fought a kid named Douglas, and Douglas, Douglas didn't want to be a fighter. His father pushed him into it. And he was always 20, 30 pounds too heavy. 
but he had fast hands. He could throw combinations, and he was a tough kid in his own right. And when he went to fight Tyson, and he was training in Nevada, and I called a friend of mine on the phone and said, how's this kid look to you? And he said, Jack, bet the house on him. I said, what are you talking about? He said, he's taking all the weight off. He's training diligently, and he's going to beat Tyson. And he beat Tyson because he could throw three punches at, you know, at a time. Combinations. Tyson couldn't get away from combinations. If you could throw a combination at Tyson and do it repeatedly, you could beat him. Yeah. You understand? He couldn't get away from that third punch. I mean, he was, Mike was a, Mike, Mike, when, when Gus Tamata had Mike, he was a better fighter because he moved more. He moved, he bobbed and weaved and, and he could punch. Mike could punch and he had fast hands. And Gus Tamata was a great trainer. As soon as Gus Tamata died, Tyson stopped moving. He had nobody to push him the right way. When he fought that kid uh, uh, from the Bahamas, he hit him with left hooks, and Tyson's whole side of his head was swollen up because he kept getting hit by the same punch. You understand? Well, hopefully there's no there's no comeback at age 53. Or oh, that's, see, that's all. That's just... That's all. That's all. Let's make money deal. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of guys promoting stuff like that to, for these guys to come back and fight, and and he's being silly because he could really get hurt. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you never know. We might see a comeback from yourself uh, before your 80th birthday comes around, Jack. You you sound like uh, I think I like about about it when I was about 50. I did. Let me tell you. Well, <laughs> yeah. you 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 just you know. One thing that, that you never lose as a fighter is your ability to punch. If you know how to, if you know where punching, you know, punching power comes from your butt. It's the way you shift your body. You understand? Too many guys are arm punchers and they think because they're punching with their shoulder that they're, they're, they're devastating punchers. Punching power comes from your bottom. The way you move your body. And, and it comes right up, and all the weight of your body comes up with the punch. Well, Jack, spe speaking of bums, I think we are tearing the arse out of this now because we need to probably wrap it up. And I'm <laughs> massively, massively appreciative of uh, your brilliant insight and all your tales from uh, coming up in boxing, fighting in the greatest era of the heavyweights, uh, moving into the movies, and just all those guys you knew and all those stories. So thanks so much. It was an absolute honor to hear, hear it. My pleasure. Believe me. It's uh, you guys are you're talking about a sport that I, I actually love. And it's, uh, you know, and like I said, when I retired, and I brought it and I come back and I and I, I took a kid to the super middleweight championship of the world. So I just proved something to myself that I had the ability to do certain things. And, and then Freddie Roach has become probably the most and renowned trainer today. Yeah, he's brilliant and trained a lot of the top Irish guys like Bernard Dunn, Steve Collins, Wayne McCullough, and he has a couple of. Monaghan prospects I want to give a shout out to as well Stevie and Aaron McKenna from from County Monaghan so uh, future champions I'm today. yeah yeah two two kids from uh, Monaghan young guys and they're under Freddie's wing right now so let's hope let's hope they can go on to be great in their eras and, uh, they're with the right guy they're with Freddie they're with the right guy